0: Well, good morning, man, it is great to see you here. And I know so many of you online, uh, it is wonderful to be able to open God's word with you and learn about a guy named Elijah. So often during the series, uh, as we've looked at the life of Elijah, we've seen his courage. But today we're going to see the absence of courage in his life and we're going to see how God gives him a courage transplant and i 'm super excited that you 've joined us for this, you know um, when we were laying out this series on Elijah last spring, in a sense, I had this date circled on my calendar. I know that sounds like preacher hype and i 'm not above preacher hype, but, uh, but I really did have this date circled uh, because uh, I, you know I had it circled me because it 's an amazing passage and, and, uh, and for that reason but but not only that, uh, I just feel like in my lifetime. There's never been a greater need for First Kings chapter 19 than there is right now. Uh, I know that so many of you are so tired and fatigued, you're run down like Elijah in today's passage, you're exhausted. And, uh, and, and I want to see how God ministers to us in our exhaustion. I want us to see how God ministers to Elijah uh, when, the, when the light on his gas tank is blinking orange And uh, maybe that that same thing is happening in in your life right now. And so what I want to do is I want to begin just by reading the very beginning of our passage. We're going to be referring to the the whole chapter. But I want to get us started in the first four verses. And then uh, we'll watch how God uh, moves after that. Uh, And so 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Ahab, the king told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. These were the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, there's so, so, so much more to this story. All the good stuff, in fact, happens after where I stopped reading. Well, Larry, why'd you do that? Well, okay, but, but I, I wanted to give you just a taste of where Elijah is and why Elijah is so in need of God's courage in the midst of Exhaustion. In fact, you might say that what we see happening uh, in this chapter is what you might call Elijah's bungee jump, if I can say it that way. You, you've watched someone, well, maybe on a video, perhaps bungee jump off a, off a bridge. Well, that's what the spiritual trajectory seems like for me. Uh, when, when we last left Elijah at the end of chapter 18, he was on the top rung of the bridge. He was on a spiritual high. Uh, he, he is soaring so high. I mean, he's single-handedly faced down this evil king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. He's helped to mortally wound this evil apparatus of false worship of, of Asherah and Baal. Not only that, he's announced a dramatic end to the three-year drought that has plagued Israel. I mean, all of Israel is dancing in the rain. I mean, he, he is as high as he can be. I mean, if your business card says prophet of Yahweh, then, and if your job description is to demonstrate Yahweh's power over his enemies, then, then if you're Elijah, you gotta be feeling pretty good about your upcoming year-end performance review, don't you? So what happens? Well, maybe, thought, maybe Elijah thought that his enemies, Ahab and Jezebel, were just going to give up. Uh, maybe they thought they'd be humiliated and, and chastened and maybe even retreat from this overwhelming display of, of power, spiritual power on Mount Carmel. But that is decidedly not what happened. When Queen Jezebel hears what happened on Mount Carmel, she, she doubles down on evil, if you will. She sends a a messenger. I want you to just note that word right now. She sends a messenger to threaten Elijah. And my rough paraphrase of the letter that this messenger brings from Queen Jezebel is, I've asked the gods to kill me if I don't see you killed in the next 24 hours. What does Elijah do? What happens to Elijah's heart when he reads this evil message from this messenger? Well, as best I can tell, it's almost like the spiritual breaker just flips in his heart. All the power drains out of him. Where once there was courage, now there's fear. Where once there was purpose, now there's hopelessness. Where once there was resolve, now there's panic. And so what does Elijah do, this brave prophet of God? who's just faced down 450 prophets of Baal on the the top of Mount Carmel. What does this brave prophet do? Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, something that you should notice here is so many other times as we've studied the life of Elijah so far, what is it that directs his steps? It's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord says, go from point A to point B and do this and say this. But I checked, there's no word of the Lord directing Elijah in verse three to run for his life. No, it's almost as if fear and fatigue have executed a coup in the command center of Elijah's mind. Now it's roughly 120 miles from the top of Mount Carmel in northern Israel to Beersheba in southern Israel. Talk about a a bungee jump, right? from spiritual heights to spiritual depths. Now, I just wanna make a quick note here. Uh, But have you ever noticed that some of the times when we're most vulnerable is after a great victory, after a great celebration? You ever noticed that before? You get back from the honeymoon and, and people say that, you know, the honeymoon's over, right? There, uh, there, there's probably a reason for the popularity of that phrase. You get that promotion you always dreamed of and then when you're finally sitting in that new office, you realize there's a whole lot of problems that you never uh, anticipated before that come with a new role. You know, I've seen it before, experienced it before, where a church moves into a brand new building, and there's been so much excitement, and you think, man, when we get in this new building, we're just going to soar, and instead we kind of do this. There's a, a spirit of complacency and stagnation that just seems to engulf us. Friends, I would go so far as to say that, that sometimes we are most spiritually vulnerable in the days after a great spiritual victory. But I think there's more going on here for Elijah, his, his bungee jump. And, 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 I, and I think we need to listen closely to where Elijah finds himself in verse 4. Uh, look with me at, at verse 4. He came to a, a broom bush, maybe your translation says a juniper tree. He sat down under it, and, and look what he prayed. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He prays for the Lord to take him home. That's not just fear and panic. That is deep discouragement. Now, friends, I'm not a mental health professional, but I am married to one, so it makes me practically one. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not one. Uh, I'm not one. But that, that feels like depression to me. I mean, that feels like severe depression to me. And I would say, you know, if you feel anything like that today, I mean, please, please. Please, please, I'm begging you, talk to someone. Reach out to someone. Talk to a staff member. We we have a a list of people that we refer to, therapists we refer to, other resources for you. Please talk to somebody. I have no competency, no desire to diagnose depression in anybody today. But I want to ask the question, I wonder how many of us in the room have at the very least had a little taste of verse 4 in our lives, in our recent lives, I wonder how many of us have had just at least a little sampler platter of what Elijah's experiencing here in verse 4. Fear, panic, running away from what threatens us, fatigue, discouragement. That feeling, if not so far as kind of the the, the suicidal thoughts, at at least least you've you've said this, right? I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. I wonder if I can frame it this way. I wonder how many of us, especially in the last 18 months, have experienced the scourge of, of burnout. Now, once again, maybe not. Maybe not you, right? Maybe, maybe your life has been different, and some of the dynamics have worked to your advantage, and it cut your commute, and you know all that kind of thing. And you've taken up gardening and crossword puzzles, and and uh, all that. And maybe, and, and that's wonderful. We praise God for that. But I, I wonder, I wonder how many parents, I wonder how many teachers, I wonder how many healthcare workers, I wonder how many school administrators, I wonder how many first responders, I, I, I wonder how many of you have struggled with burnout, are struggling with burnout. In preparing for the sermon, I, um, I went to a couple of well-known uh, newspapers and just typed the word burnout into their uh, online search engines. And boy, what did I see? Uh, in, in June, the Wall Street Journal published an article with the title, here's why record numbers of Americans are quitting their jobs. Another headline from the Wall Street Journal, tech firms tweak work tools to grapple with, quote, digital exhaustion. Type the same word burnout into the New York Times. I read, doctors facing burnout turn to self-care. I read, ''Zoom burnout is real and it's worse for women.'' I read, ''You've lost your sparkle. What to do when burnout hits?'' I read, ''Why your brain feels broken.'' Once again, I'm not in a position to diagnose burnout in your life, but I wonder how many of us have felt or currently feel its symptoms. Kerry Newhoff is a Canadian pastor, podcaster. He, he's written about a season in his life where he says he still got out of bed every day. Uh, he still went to work as a pastor. He still prayed. He still read his Bible. He still preached. But he said there was something going on in his soul. He said, he said his productivity and speed decreased to a snail's pace. He said his motivation and passion dropped precipitously. You know what he said the dominant emotion was that he felt most of the time? It was numbness. He said hanging out with people just drained the life out of him. He said he really struggled with flying off the handle at people for the smallest things. He said he felt cynical about so much, so much of the time. He said he laughed much less than he usually did. He said he battled with a strong temptation to self-medicate. Friends, have you been there? Are you there right now? And perhaps if you're not exactly there, can you see it from here? Is it just like a little pitching wedge from here? Burnout. Well, what I want to do the rest of this time is is to share with you a scripture-based prayer from this passage, uh, one that I've already been praying for you, and, and one that I'll continue to pray for you, and, and one that I encourage you to pray for yourself. And I'm calling it a, a prayer for renewal. A prayer for renewal. You know, when you're burnt out and somebody says, okay, here's 25 things you should do, right? Like, <laughs> you don't understand, I'm burned out, right? And so I thought, no, I don't want to give you 25 things to do. I'm just going to tell you a prayer that I'm praying for you, and I'm going to ask you to pray it as well now by the way um, uh, if you're not feeling in any need of renewal right now if you're not struggling at all with any kind of burnout well congratulations uh, first of all Uh, congratulations for being the one percent no congratulations but I I do hope you'll file this away because you'll probably need it Uh, and I and but I hope today you'll, you'll pray for someone that you know who is struggling so this particular prayer has three parts and the first part of the prayer is Lord Heal us from the wounds of our past. Heal us from the wounds of our past. All you have to do is reread verse 4 to see how run down Elijah is. He's had enough, he's ready to give up. He collapses in a heap under this desert shrub with a lot of shade, a broom bush. And what happens next? I love the progression. First, Elijah sleeps. And I know a lot of people struggle with sleep, but when you're in burnout mode, if you can sleep, there's just no substitute for sleep. Maybe our students know that kind of winter weekend sleep where you get home Sunday afternoon and you're just going to take maybe a one or two hour nap and you sleep all the way till 10 the next morning, right? I mean, when you're in burnout mode, what you need, rest. The body keeps scores, some people like to say. The body needs healing. And then I love what happens next, verse five. All at once, an angel, it's the same word for messenger uh, that we saw earlier, an angel touched him, Elijah, and said, get up and eat, get up and eat. Maybe uh, some of you are old enough to remember a TV show called Touched by an Angel. Elijah is literally touched by an angel, touched by a messenger from God. And the angel points Elijah toward this food and water that has been divinely provided. So many times in life, like Elijah earlier in this passage, it's the evil message. It's the dark message. It's the discouraging message and messenger that brings us so low. And what we need is that gospel message, that healing word that comes from God. And the healing for Elijah, I want you to note, begins physically, begins biologically. He sleeps He eats, he drinks, and then what does he do? He sleeps again. And an angel wakes him up a second time in verse seven, and the angel says something I think is so important for us to pay attention to. Look at verse seven. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Repetition of that first message. But look what what is added here. For the journey is too much for you. You ever felt that way before? Too much journey too little strength. Have you ever said that, Lord? There's, there's too much road ahead of me and too little tread on my tires to make it. God, the challenges I face loom large. The resources I have feel so small. And so, Lord, I need you to heal me. I need you to give me soul rest. Start with my body, Lord, and let it just take over your. Renewal. I'm praying that for you today, friends. I'm praying that God would heal the wounds of your past. I'm praying, you know, sometimes it's that unexpected night of good sleep. Sometimes it's that relaxing, satisfying dinner with family or close friends. Sometimes it's that Bible verse. We didn't even know that verse was in the Bible and someone showed it to us. And and we've been clinging to that verse like driftwood for the last day or week or month or season. Sometimes it's that unexpected, encouraging phone call. Sometimes it's that sermon that it's like, like that preacher has been reading my thoughts, he's been reading my emails. No, it's the Holy Spirit who, who, who allowed for that particular sermon to speak right where you are. It's like an angel is nudging you. And saying, sleep, eat, drink. You need healing. You need refreshment. And verse 8 says, strengthened by that food, Elijah was made able to make the next leg of his journey. Was his burnout over? By no means, by no means. Uh, but he was strengthened enough to take the next journey. And as Israel had once wandered for 40 years in this same desert area, Elijah will wander for 40 days and nights on his way to a, a spot that had great spiritual significance, Mount Horeb, otherwise known as Mount Sinai, where Moses had before experienced God's fiery presence. So for Elijah, the journey of healing has begun, but as I said, it's it's by no means over because Elijah needs something else, something very specific in the present tense moment of his life. And that's what I'm praying for you as well, not just healing for the wounds of your past, but also, secondly, Lord, protect us from distorted thinking in our present Protect us from distorted thinking in the present tense, today, right now. Burnout does not just affect our bodies, it it affects our minds. Our minds get cranky, uh, our minds get tired, our thoughts become polluted with uh, discouragement and resentment and self-pity. Our world shrinks and all we can see is our mistreated selves. Sometimes we are mistreated, but in burnout, that's all that we can see. And one of the things I love so much about chapter 19 is how dramatically and yet how patiently God works to get Elijah's mind, to get his thinking back. On track. Now, we probably could preach a whole sermon, should preach a whole sermon on verses 9 to 14. I apologize up front for the way I'm just going to race through this passage. But, but I want you to notice it's, it's bookended by a very important question. In fact, I want you just to think about the power of a question. Sometimes God does his best work in my life when he poses a question for me to reflect on. Sometimes the questions are straight from scripture. And I think God is doing this with Elijah in verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says, then there he, at, the, at, the, at Mount Horeb, there he, Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now that question could mean, what are you doing here 100 miles away from where I last told you I wanted you to be? Uh, it could be, what are you doing here? Do you realize where you are, this place where I've spoken so powerfully in the past to your forefathers? And, and Elijah should have said, well, that's a, good, a great question, Lord, to be honest with you. I'm running scared. But that's not what he does. Uh, what he does is he gets all defensive. Now, what he says is not a flat-out lie. There's a lot of truth to what he says. But it's not a humble, honest assessment either. What does he say? He says to the Lord in answer to that question, Lord, you, you, you got you to know how zealous I've been for you. I've done everything right. Israel's done everything wrong. Lord, they're breaking their covenant with you. They're rejecting their worship with you. They're trying to kill preachers like me. A lot of truth there. But then he says, and I'm the only one left. I'm the last faithful man on the planet. Friends, you know what that is? That is cave talk. That's cave talk. That's the kind of thing we say when we're burned out. We say the problem is 100% someone else's fault. I'm all alone. I'm the last righteous person on this earth. Lord, you're lucky you got me here. Uh, I don't know what you do without me. Now maybe you never said that, but have you ever said anything in that spirit? Have you ever said anything remotely resembling that sentiment? Have you ever said, uh, for example, I think I'm the only person in this company who really cares about people and not just the bottom line? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, I think I'm the only one really working in this relationship? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, I don't know what this church would do if I walked out the door? Have you ever said that? Don't tell me I'm the only one who's ever said that, right? Have you ever, I mean, have you ever kind of had that distorted thinking before? And maybe God needs to ask us right now, what are you doing here in this mental sulking state? Right? What are you doing here in this cave of self-pity? It doesn't mean that there's not merit to your frustrations, there probably are, but bitter, bitterness and cynicism are not going to help you out of the cave. So God asks Elijah a very important question, Ask it twice, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? But then God also teaches Elijah a very important lesson, and only God can pull off something like this. Uh, God tells Elijah to go out and stand on the mountain, and God treats Elijah to some of the most scary meteorological scenes you'll ever see in your life. It's, it's like, uh, you know, when you open up, like, the Weather Channel app, and they have those clickbait videos of, of all kind of terrible weather things going on. That's what it's like to me. I mean, Elijah walks out, there's a windstorm, and then uh, there's an earthquake, and then there's a, a, a fire. Maybe God was trying Trying to let Elijah know that you know you're you're scared of a bully named Jezebel, uh, but I got a little power uh, at my disposal. Maybe that's what God is trying to say. God, maybe God wants Elijah to know that, that God is not intimidated by the bullies of this world. But 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 interestingly enough, God shows Elijah all these pyrotechnics, right? Not uh, earth wind and fire, but earthquake, wind and fire, and then and then and then. But but God doesn't speak in the pyrotechnics. No, it's not till we get to verse 12. After the fire, after the fire came a gentle whisper. That's where God speaks, in a gentle whisper. It's a really interesting phrase in in Hebrew. One translation says, uh, translates it, the sound of a low whisper. Uh, Another translation says the sound of, of sheer silence. I think I still prefer the the one that I I learned first as a child, uh, a still, small voice. After the fire came, a still, small voice. I think God was teaching Elijah to silence all the noise, right? All the defensiveness, all the bitterness, all the cynicism in his own head. God was teaching him to silence all that so that Elijah could tune in and listen to that still, small voice. So that Elijah could experience God's nearness in a time of deep loneliness. And friends, that's what I'm praying for you right now. That God would quiet your heart in this moment quieted enough to hear the gentle whisper of God's truth, God's presence, God's kingdom, God's forgiveness, God's peace, God's love for you. I'm praying that God would coax you out of the cave so that you could experience the gentle winds of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying that for you. If you're burnout, especially, I'm praying for, for healing, refreshment from the wounds of the past. I'm praying for protection of your mind in the present. But I'm praying for one more thing for you. Based on this passage, I'm also praying, God, connect us to your purpose for our future. Connect us to your purpose for our future. You see, when you're tired, you're tired. When you're burnt out, you need rest. Uh, And I know that sometimes for so many of you, your life situation is is not allowing you uh, that kind of rest. You've got little kids running around, you've got responsibilities, and rest is hard to find. And that's why I keep saying I'm praying this for you, I'm praying, right? I'm praying that God would do what only God can do. But sometimes I've noticed when we're in our caves, the cave of fatigue and self-pity, we not only struggle with the past and the present, but we have no vision for our future. We cannot see at all what God might be calling us to. When God asks us, what are you doing here? We basically throw our hands up and say, beats me, right? I don't have a clue what you want me to do tomorrow. And what I love about this passage is after rest, after refreshment, after this reconnection with God in worship, God helps Elijah reconnect to his purpose, God says, you know what, there are kings that need to be anointed. There's a a king in Syria. There's a a king in Israel that needs to be prepared for their role. There's a new religious and political order that's going to need to put into place to achieve victory over the worship of the false god Baal. God's going to remove some kings. He's going to establish others. God also tells Elijah that you have a successor that I want you to anoint. His name is similar, Elisha with an S-H, and he's going to need to be recruited and mentored and deployed. What was God doing? God was coaxing Elijah out of the cave and back into the game. And I wonder how many times we miss out on our purpose because we fail to listen to that gentle voice. Friends, that's a, a huge part, right? A, a huge part of overcoming that exhaustion is reconnecting to the purpose that God has for your life. And and I don't want you to miss this. I love this. Elijah, in his self-pity, he says, you know what? I'm the last faithful man on earth. It's it's me and me alone. And you know what God says? God says, not so fast. In fact, look at verse 18. God says to Elijah, I still have left in Israel 7,000 followers who have not bowed their knees to Baal or kissed images of him. Elijah says, I'm the only one, it's just me. I'm the only one who serves you. And God says, all alone, no way. I've got faithful people all over the place. You just need to find them and to fellowship with them. You see, sometimes, sadly, uh, I I talk to people, uh, volunteers and um, vocational ministers who just get burnt out on church. And I get it. I empathize, but then sometimes they say to me, "They say I'm going to go find a new church, um, a large church, somewhere where I can just be anonymous." And I always and I, and I empathize. I understand. I empathize, but I always think to myself, "Is that the great purpose God is calling you to—to to become some anonymous pewsitter somewhere?" Friends, that's not what I'm praying for you. What I'm praying for you is that you'll find your 7,000 or at least your 17 or your 70 or, or your seven. I'm praying for you, you'll find a grow group. If you've, if you've not connected to a grow group before, you'll find a group of people that can come alongside you and pray for you and with you and support you. I'm praying for your rest, we all need rest, but we don't need anonymity, friends. No, we need to be known and to know. We need to be loved and to love, right? We need to reconnect to our purpose. I'll close with this. In the house I grew up in, in the garage, there was this big, beautiful cabinet that my grandfather uh, had built, wooden wooden cabinet. I remember once, I, I watched this little kitten from the neighborhood just kind of run underneath it. And I thought, this is not good, you know, we're gonna close the garage and it'll be all, all night. And so I remember, like, I, I got down on my knees and I kind of looked into the dark under there and I said, you know, come on out, little kitty, come on out, you know, uh, I wanna help you. But unfortunately, the kitten did not speak English. And, uh, and so what the kitten, I think, heard me say was, come out, come out, I wanna eat you. I think that's what, uh, what the kitten heard. And so the kitten just stayed just stayed underneath the cabinet. I remember I I went and I got a little bowl of milk and I just kind of sat down and I talked and I waited, waited, waited endlessly for that kitten to get a little tired of being in the cave and take a little risk to come on out. I wonder, friends, I wonder if that's God for you right now, whispering gently, lovingly, saying, come out, (laughs) come out, I want to nourish you, I want to strengthen you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and I will say, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your people right now, Lord. And as the old song says, I ask that you would listen to your people praying. I know that you are, Lord. And Lord, I know that so many of your people here and online have been through such a traumatic season of life. And Lord, they are struggling. Their bodies are tired, Lord. Their minds are discouraged. And their vision of their future is so cloudy And Lord, as we thanked you throughout this worship service, we thank you again for the cross, for the victory of life over death, for your sacrifice on our behalf, for you calling us into life. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would be coaxing your tired people out of the cave and back into your light and your purpose for them. Would you do that, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name? Amen.